Portions of the following program were pre-recorded. Welcome to the Andrea K Show. She's blonde, five foot two, and one hundred two pounds of dynamite in a dress. Here she is, Andrea K. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin in for Andrea Kay. It's the great Andrea Kay show. Great to be together tonight. We have a wonderful program, and even though Andrea Kay won't be here, don't worry, she'll be back soon. It's Ed Martin filling in. Grateful for a chance to fill in. I'm a big fan of the Andrea Kay show audience, and I love it, and I love having some guests on that uh, are exciting to do. In fact, uh, we're going to have a, a, a guy who's been on her program a number of times, uh, Rick Elkin. Rick Elkin. A very interesting man, writer, commentator, a local guy from the San Diego area. Looking forward to that. And also Ted Malik, the great Ted Malik, Dr. Ted Malik, uh, Ted Theodore Roosevelt Malik. He is an author, a businessman, a professor, has lived for many years in. Um, well, by, uh, by coastal, but West Coast, he's got some family and friends and also in London over across the pond. So we'll talk with him in a few moments. He's got a piece from Father's Day, which is excellent. It's not just about Father's Day. It's about what's going on going forward. So great to be with you again. It's Ed Martin filling in for Andrea Kay on the Andrea Kay Show. Please visit at Andrea Kay Show. Follow her on Twitter and also everywhere else you go on Parlor and everything. You can also follow me on Twitter at Eagle Ed Martin on, uh, fa- uh, excuse me, on, um, Gab and Parlor at Eagle Ed Martin. I got in there quicker. And, excuse me, at Ed Martin straight away with no Eagles. So uh, good to be in there. We will take some phone calls later on in the program after our guests. 888-344-1170. 888-344-1170. All right, a couple of things I want to cover here. I call this segment on my show, which is the Pro America Report, which is on later on tonight here on the Answer San Diego. You go to you can go to proamericareport.com, proamericareport.com, and check in there. I call this opening segment What You Now Know, the wink, the daily wink, what you now know, W-Y-N-K, because when I'm done, you will now know some things that are important to know. And two of them today, I want to give you two things to think about, two specific aspects of what's happening in this country that come out of my experience of watching both politics and policy and uh, and how they interact. And let me pause and tell you, I'm Ed Martin of Pro America Report, which is on in a few hours here on The Answer San Diego, filling in for Andrea Kay. My day job is I'm the head of the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Phyllis Schlafly's organization. And I am, our organization is based in St. Louis, and we have Eagle leaders all across the country, including one of our best Eagle leaders is a man named Woody Woodrum, who's right here in San Diego. He is Woody Woodrum, is the California Screaming Eagles, is the name he gave to his chapter doing good things. So, what do the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles do? Well, we know politics and policy. A lot of people are conservative, they know conservative policies and principles. Do they know politics? Do they know how they fit together? It doesn't mean that we do politics. Sometimes we do. It means that we're talking about how do you move the needle? Uh, A few days ago, we had our annual collegian summit 
If you go to phyllisschlafly.com, you can click on the link there. We had about 15 guests, everybody from Ted Cruz uh, to Seth Dillon, the CEO of the Babylon Bee. We had uh, Congressman Burgess Owens, uh, African-American conservative from Utah who played NFL football and won a um, Super Bowl ring. And then we have Bridget Van Means, one of the cleverest, uh, one of the leading, smartest, toughest pro-lifers who's running an organization called Thrive, which focuses, and she challenged us in this Collegian Summit. She said, stop talking about the baby, not because we don't love the baby, but start talking about the woman. Make it a pro-woman movement to give the woman options that are better for her and better for her child and better for the future. Anyway, fascinating people. We have all those things. We understand politics, policy, principles. Excuse me. We understand policy and principles, conservative-wise, pro-family, pro-life, pro-America first. But we know how politics works. You got to know both. That's what Phyllis Schlafly taught. So these are two things I want to two two topics I want to alert you to that have to do with pub, a policy and conservative principles, but also have to do with politics. One is this. We've heard a lot of people complaining about uh, critical race theory and what a disaster it is to have so many people in our higher education, excuse me, in our education system, higher ed too, but also at the, uh, the, 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 the high school level and, and below focused on this idea of teaching a new history, 1619 Project, critical race theory. And my friend said to me, besides making a great point about how critical race theory appears to him and appears to me, and maybe I should own it myself because I fine-tuned it from him, so I don't want to put it on him. But in our discussion, we said this, critical race theory teaches your kids to be one of two things, a victim, you're a victim, everything's against you, you're a victim, race, blah, 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 victim. Or you're a bigot. You're part of the people that got the break. You're a bigot. As you know, if you have children or work with children or were a child once, <laughs> it, this, this is the truism. Telling people that they're failed and bad doesn't do any good. It's the opposite of what you want to do, especially to kids. You want to say, you can be better. You're, you can make yourself stronger. You can figure out how to be uh, more aware and, and be more considerate and be a better Christian or whatever it is. So critical race theory, 16, 19, all things. And I was talking to my friend. He said, hey, be careful, Ed. Don't just focus on these things. Call them names, Marxist, racist. He said, go and aggressively try, aggr- not try, aggressively find the things to talk about that are positive in America. Not just America's great, America's great. And so I want to tell you, on, on the 21st of June, this date in 1788, 1788, the the Constitution of the United States was ratified, was ratified, meaning the ninth state, New Hampshire, approved ratification. That was it, that we only needed nine. And bam, on June June 24, 1788, we had a country. And the Constitution that put that in motion is one of the most extraordinary documents for knitting together people, and here's the key, giving them opportunities. Our patent system in the Constitution makes it so inventors can own what they invent, not have to ask the king, not have to ask the parliament, not to have to ask anybody to own what they make for a period of time that incentivizes and has incentivized the greatest system of invention in in human existence. That's America. The Constitution, which, when it gets the Bill of Rights added, has the greatest protections for stability. Stability in wartime, in peacetime, in strife, in, 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 uh, in economic downturn, in transformation of the economy, industrial revolution, information age, whatever it is. 
stability. Second Amendment, now is added, 1788, June 21st, is the, is the Constitution. The 1791 is the one, the last of the Bill of Rights was ratified. But still, the stability of the written document, Second Amendment, stabilizing, free speech, balance of power. Things are imperfect. Don't get me wrong. We have some off-balance things right now. The states and the federal government are off-balance. Some of the division of uh, some of the separation of powers could be stronger. But in general, this Constitution is miraculous, including the ability to get better. Passing amendments that protect women's right to vote and civil rights. Right? It's extraordinary. We should use the Constitution as a sword to slice through the critical race theory and everything else. And the goodness of the country, it's colorblind. It's gender sex blind. There's no man or woman mentioned in the Constitution. Not even he or she. Citizen. And so it's extraordinary to have this gift, and we need to be more aggressively educated. What you now know when I'm done is to tell you, don't just badmouth critical race theory. Come up with the things that we have done and succeeded and say, look at this. Look at how well this is going for we the people. Look at how important this is for we the people. That, my friends, will make a monstrous difference in how our lives are. It will make a huge difference in how well our lives work. So be encouraged about that. Be dramatically encouraged. I hope you are. The second thing, what you need to now, what you now know, is about the uh, related to this is this moment we're having in this country where we have, uh, and related in this sense, you got to know what's happening. Joe Biden, the president, today is celebrating a special day. It's called Child Tax Credit Day. No kidding. And what he's talking about is in the COVID relief bill, trillions of dollars, there is a transformation of our health, of our welfare system from what has worked for meaningful living and what has failed and caused a second class citizenry. And what I mean by that is in the 1990s, Bill Clinton forced by the, the Republican Congress, Gingrich, to, they were, he was forced to do some things that he probably wouldn't have done if he didn't have to. But he did. And one was welfare to work. And if you look at my friend Mickey Kaus, he's based up in L.A., and he writes over at, at Kaus Mickey on Twitter, and I'll put it up on social media. Mickey Kaus writes about how Joe Biden and the Democrats are celebrating an issue that is not only demeaning for people, but it's proven it doesn't work. And, Mickey says, it's a bad political move. What is it? In the COVID relief bill, trillions of dollars, there is a provision that says we'll just give people money. You don't have to look for work. You don't have to pay any taxes. It's just straight giveaway. And in fact, the people, you know, some people that pay some taxes, they get a tax credit. In this case, it's not a tax credit if you don't pay taxes. And what we know from the 1960s until the 1990s is a system that gives straightaway money to people to do nothing ends up demeaning them and trapping them in what is a, a tough term, but I use it, an underclass. So you had Reagan talking about the welfare queens where people were on welfare and adding children because they wanted to get more money. And we knew the system was broken. And Gingrich and Clinton passed the law and the welfare reform did two things. It got a lot of people off of welfare because they got a job. And it made sure that the people that were on welfare, or worse, were really in need. And so it stopped a system that demeaned people and rewarded people for the right kind of incentives. 
And Joe Biden and the Democrats are celebrating the fact that they just passed this new welfare entrapment scheme. And here's what Mickey Kaus's point is, and you should know. What you now know is this. It, they may think it's good to, to pay the underclass and build an underclass because they can hope they vote. But normal Americans that work of any age, of any socioeconomic background, don't like the idea of having a system that is giveaways for people that don't even try. It's not a good move. It's a bad move. And Biden and the Democrats are walking right towards a cliff in terms of electability. Now, as I've said before, and again, it's Ed Martin filling in for Andrea Kay, and we're going to take a break in a moment and, and go to some of our great interviews. But we'll talk with Ted Malik after this. I, you know, I, I worry that we'll never have a real election because they, they, they gained the system so bad, or as they said, they, quote, fortified the election, end quote. That's what the Democrats said. After they, they got after they won the election, they went and they did interviews with Newsweek, and they said, we fortified the election, quote, fortified, end quote, the election by spending lots of money and kind of gaming the rules and, and using the courts and using friendly courts and friendly judges. It was a gaming. They gamed it, and they think they won. I think they probably also stole it. Will we have an election that is free and fair again? I'm not sure. But I do know this. We better fight for it. We better fight for it. And these kinds of issues, changing this welfare back to uh, the bad idea is a bad idea. There you have it. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk with Ted Malik, the great Ted Malik, uh, Dr. Ted Malik, and also uh, later on Rick Elkin. Uh, hang in there. It's the Andrea K. Show. Grateful to be here. And we will be right. I'm be right back. I'm Ed Martin filling in for Andrea K. Be back in a moment. Want more Andrea K? Follow her on Twitter at Andrea K Show. And like her Facebook fan page at Andrea K. Spelled K-A-Y-E. The preceding show was pre-recorded. Andrea K. Telling you like it is, all while eating a donut, too. It's the Andrea K Show on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin filling in for the great Andrea Kay. She's on assignment, as we say, and I'll be back tomorrow night, too. So great to be in with you and I appreciate very much chance to talk to the great Andrea Kay listeners and, and get her feedback. In fact, in a few minutes, one of her favorite guests, Rick, Rick Elkin, will be on after our next guest. And I have been reading Rick's stuff and hearing him. He's really cool. And I'm going to actually I'm going to probably steal him, get him on my show. The Pro-America Report, which airs a few hours from now. So glad to be with you all. And again, Andrea Kay will be back very soon. Fear not she's doing fine and uh she is fired up and in a red dress somewhere uh, all right uh, our next guest is my friend ted malik i have ted on my program quite frequently i i really like his writing he is a uh, he's been a professor a businessman he's written books of history books of politics but he also has a great perspective and it's really i think uh done a service the last couple of years writing over at american greatness and a few other places amgreatness.com he's got a piece out that came out i think over the weekend and what I I thought I'd pick it up, even though it's a couple days after uh, Father's Day, because the point is one that um, is shouldn't be lost on us. So we got a lot of conversations about going uh, what's going on. I mentioned earlier in the beginning of the program just a few moments ago that Biden wants to change welfare so that you just get a giveaway. We're back to welfare queens. There's no incentive to have families. All these kinds of things. It's uh, it's a disaster. A lot of things happening. And uh, Ted's piece that ran. A day before um, a Father's Day is called Father Knew Best, 
and he can again. Uh, so welcome, Ted Malik. How are you, Ted? Good to be with you, Ed. Thanks. All right, so get walk us through this piece, and and you know the as you say the sitcom uh, Father Knows Best was 1954 and went for almost six years, and everybody remembers Robert Young, I think, uh, as the mainstay. But uh, younger people don't have any recollection of the story. But talk about uh, how you position this and what you think is happening in the country. Well, I use that series uh, as a theme. Uh, to kind of click for people that remember it, this notion that is so ingrained in American culture because it idealized the preservation of family and family life based on the recognition of the valued head of that family, i.e. the father. Fathers knew best. They were wise. They were authoritative. They were caring. They were loving. They were essential. But in today's popular Mm -hmm. imagination, in our culture, uh, 2021, all that is past tense. So the question I raise is, why have fathers fallen so out of favor? Well, and we're talking with Ted Malik, and I'm reading into this piece, and uh, I thought, um, you know, and you, I think we've talked about this, Ted, but I'm Catholic, and the Catholic Church this year is, is has a special set of devotions to Joseph uh, and his role as the father of Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me, and a lot of a lot of writing on it. Teresa of Avila, the famous uh, saint, really ignited that uh, devotion. But you know, you, you put it in General Flynn, our friend, our mutual friend, General Mike Flynn, gave a speech the other day, and he said the men are frozen by this culture, by what exactly what you described they've been frozen and and they're you know they're they're even though they say they're not woke many of them are they're they're, they're you know they're held back and the whole culture is stacked up you have some uh, ideas on that i like the one on a, a u.s commission on fatherhood although you you add with teeth to do something i'm not sure uh where the teeth would come from but you know what what can we do besides trying to rediscover uh you know you got guys like larry elder on this on this radio network who's really great talking about his father and fatherhood but how do you how do you how can you ignite this uh this shift well it's a very good question but uh, and i will get to it but I think we first need to know how appallingly bad the situation is, uh, where we stand now. 75% of African-American families, 60% of Hispanic families, 38% of white families, 20% of Asian families have no fathers. The fathers have exited. Hmm. If you look at the Census Bureau, one in four children, that's nearly 20 million American children, live in a home without a father. And 75% of the U.S. population says fatherlessness, if you want to call it that, is the most significant family or social problem facing America. So I, I th- we have to realize how bad it has become. It's gotten worse uh, decade by decade. Actually, in my piece, I argued that this is over 100 years old because Marx himself wrote in his uh, abolition of the family that we have to abolish the family. And that has to do with largely killing off the father. So they've been successful. So how can we turn this around? How can we turn the tide? Well, I've got three ideas, uh, and I lay them out in this piece. The first one is to actually have a U.S. Commission on Fatherhood. Uh, and I think there mm-hmm. should be some brave conservatives in Congress, uh, well, maybe even bipartisan, because this shouldn't be a partisan issue, uh, who could mm-hmm. step up and say, let's study this, Uh, And let's actually do something about it. And I want to call on Steve Scalise and uh, his friends to take up this banner, because if we don't, this gets 
actually worse and worse as time goes on. And um, mm-hmm. it, it's a very, very, very difficult hole to dig yourself out of. The second idea I have, and I know, you know, we've shared this in conferences and yeah. other places, uh, is to learn a lesson from Eastern Europe. I mean, these friends, and, and they are largely religious people now who have suffered so long under the yoke of communism, they have made family the focal point of their policy, in particularly in Poland, in uh, Hungary, in the Czech Republic. So let's incentivize it. Let's boldly reward child-rearing. And let's call on Viktor Orban, among others, in Hungary, and yeah. say, how did they do it? How are they doing it? What can we learn from it? There's some very good comparative lessons there. We have to be willing to take them. And the final one, you know, is a very personal one, of course, for me, because I was chairman of this charity, Great Dads, for a number of years, is, you know, we have to combat pervasive father absence in America. Uh, And the way to do that is to equip fathers with training and supportive resources to make a lifelong commitment to their children to be better dads. So I am going to propagandize this, but the program works you know, it's 25, 30 years old, and we need more programs like that that go into the military, that go into the prisons, that go into the churches, that go everywhere to help fathers be real fathers. It's uh, I, I think the... Um when you, you when you look at the dynamic, uh, we're talking with Ted Malik and his piece, which is over at American Greatness. I'll put up on uh, my social media, which is at Eagle Ed Martin and Ed Martin Live on Facebook and other places. Uh, uh, when you look at our policies, I often tell people, Ted, people misunderstand. They say, "Oh well, I'm kind of a libertarian. Government shouldn't be involved in marriage. Government shouldn't be involved. It's just be neutral. Neutral's a choice." You know, Phyllis Schlafly used to say, "You know, when you did it, you know, real neutrality would be no." no federal tax, right? If we didn't have a federal tax, then you could have, then that would be neutral, right? You wouldn't take anybody's money for anything. Once you're taking money for something and you see these, you know, the, the choices you're making, whether it's deductibility for raising kids and over in, um, over, you know, admittedly, uh, Hungary's got, you know, one, what, about one twentieth the population of America, but they have policies. If you have two kids, I think you get a tax break. If you have four kids, you pay no more taxes at all. I mean, and, and again, they're incentivizing the family. If you get married, a husband and wife can get a, a, a loan, a low interest loan that is then forgiven, uh, within three or four years if they have a family. So there's policy shifts you can make and they're, they are value, they're not value neutral. That's the problem. And, and too many people say, well, I don't want to pick and choose who's married to whom and I don't want to judge divorce and all these kinds of things. No Fault Divorce was signed into law and led the country coming out of California in the late 1960s when a Republican governor, Ronald Reagan, decided to sign that. I mean, it's one of the worst things he did in terms of the burden of how do you figure out what, what you know, once you get unhappy in a relationship, in a marriage, you're like, I'm out of here. So, but I guess, Ted, how would you say this, what's the stomach or how do we, how do we get the guts as a culture to take that fight, right? We're willing to fight over critical race theory. We're willing to fight over uh, this and that. But, you know, it, it feels like you said, I'm gonna, you said, I'm going to ask some of my intrepid uh, friends in Congress. Doesn't feel like Republicans want that fight. They feel like it's out of step with the broader culture and they don't want it. Am I wrong, reading that wrong? Well, I hope you're reading it wrong. And I hope there are some that do want it. And I believe there are at least a handful, if not more, who do want it. We have to take on the fight, and the fight is in the culture because politics is downstream of culture. We don't change the culture. The politics doesn't matter. So what we have to realize, and the libertarians are so wrong on this, so wrong on this, as they are in the economy, that fathers have long 
been a part of the public policy of progressives going back to Woodrow Wilson is evidence in welfare policies, food stamp programs, housing, marriage penalties, and in taxation itself. So when you encourage and incentivize something, you generally get it. When you don't or Mm -hmm. worse, penalize it, you destroy it. And that's what we've done. We've destroyed fatherhood. And the progressives over these decades, and it took six, seven decades to do it, have largely succeeded now in destroying fatherhood. Now, those of us who still understand what the father is, who have fathers, who know spiritually the content of what a father provides to a family, have got to stand up for those uh, families and for that movement. Yeah, I, I, and I think part of it probably, you know, it's like the old um, uh, AA line is you know, the first thing you do is admit you have a problem. I mean, you know, admitting admitting the extent of the problem and the cost, it's cost to the country. It's not it's no longer it's no longer, um, you know, inner city communities problem. It's the whole country's problem. Right. I mean, it, maybe it never was. But the, it, but the extent of it, I think, has to be it's another one of these things moments where Obama. Remember, he talked about he wanted to address the uh, fatherhood or, or, or young people and, and just was such a fraudulent, such, such fraudulent. Well, I, I guess the thing I'd say, the last thing is pol- politicians are so fraudulent. Uh, they never take these things seriously enough and move towards policies. They'll talk about it and then they'll run. You know, when policies come, we'll see. I'm glad you called on Scalise. That was a good line. That was a good line of uh, of uh, point of, of order. So we'll see what happens. All right. Ted Malik, I got to run. Uh, thank you, as always. Thanks for your writing. Again, the, 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 uh, his uh, column is over at American Greatness, amgreatness.com. Father knew best, and he can, he can again. Ted Malik over there. Thanks, Ted. We'll talk again very soon. I will take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. You're, I'm filling in. It's Ed Martin in for Andrea K on the Andrea K Show. Be back in a moment. Want more Andrea K? Follow her on Twitter at Andrea K Show and like her Facebook fan page at Andrea K, spelled K A Y E. Andrea K, the Donut Queen of San Diego. It's the Andrea K Show on the Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here filling in for the great Andrea K. Andrea K. Show. Uh, great to be with you. Don't forget, please follow Andrea, excuse me, at Andrea K. Show on Twitter, on Facebook. You'll find her Andrea K. Show all over the place. And uh, she'll be back. Don't worry. Uh, thank you, as always, to DJ Potato Skins. That's Noah to me who are, for helping uh, keep things on track. He also produces my show, which uh, airs in a few hours. Here and you're going to love this next guest. So, he is one of my favorites, Ed. Yeah, no, and I've heard him. I've heard him, and I've also seen his blogs. I haven't read his book. I'm going to change that now that I'm talking to him. Our next guest is Rick Elkin, who has appeared on Andrea's show before, and he is the author of a book, "The Illusion of Knowledge: Why So Many Educated Americans Embrace Marxism." It's better to be lucky than good on timing. He wrote that about a year and a half ago, and it couldn't be more uh, perfectly timed. People need to read that one. So, uh, welcome, Rick. How are you today? I'm great, Ed. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. So, uh, you know, I was telling someone that critical race theory is Marxism, right? We got that. It's I call it racist Marxism. But a bigger question, Rick, is how do you explain to uh, regular people what the heck is happening with Marxism? Because they almost don't believe. It's like saying that there's a Mars, uh, uh, you know, a landing rover over there on Mars. And you're like, oh, it must be there. I see it. How does it affect me? And and, and so sometimes you're like, no, no. I told someone today that if you... um. If you do critical race theory, makes all the kids in your school have to pick a hat to wear. They can either be a, a victim 
or they can be a bigot. If you're a white kid, you get to wear the bigot hat. If you're a black kid, you get to wear the victim hat. And as you know, when you tell kids to act like, uh, if you tell kids you're great and you're going to be a success, they, they go and do it. If you tell them you're messed up, they stay messed up. So, Rick, how do we, um, you, you know, you're a guy that writes columns, you communicate well. How do we get regular people to understand what's happening? You know, it's a great question, and I think it's a super important question for all of us to ask ourselves, and when we're in a group and the subject comes up, to ask each other, you know, how did we get here, and why are we in the situation where America is, in a sense, in a new civil war? You know, it's like everybody's fighting with each other over everything, and, you know, it was this complete dysfunctional family that we have, our American family, and what... Why did this happen? You know, if you think about it, we should be living in the golden age. I mean, you know, things couldn't be better. We live longer. We have all this modern mm -hmm. technology. We have all this medicine. We have all this, you know, wealth, uh, poverty. People who are in poverty live a lot better now than they did 15, 20, 50 years ago. So they may still be miserable, but they're not as bad as it used to be. So why are we in this situation? And my answer goes back really to the theme of my book. And, uh, and it, it came about when my wife and I were involved with a, a friend of my wife's from childhood who was involved in an abusive relationship. And we couldn't <laughs> figure out why she kept going back. And then, you know, she, we'd see her and she'd have a black eye. And then we'd ask her, you know, kind of subtly, because it was really not a lot of our business, but you know, you want to know what's going on. And she would, you know, dodge, not answer and make up excuses. And, you know, we knew there was something going on. Well, all of a sudden she moved. We lost complete contact with her. And my wife was left like without a long time friend and no explanation. So I started hmm. reading about uh, sexual abuse and relationship abuse. And I came across this concept called perspecticide more commonly now called gaslighting. And now it's, you see it all the time. Every time you pick up the paper, you read you know, articles about what's going on, you'll see the word gaslighting. Both sides, right. the left and the right, claim that the other side is gaslighting them. But the, the, the process of perspecticide, they call it perspecticide because what it does is it murders your perspective. And how does that happen? Well, the coercive partner manages to brainwash their partner could be a man and a woman and a man but it's mostly men versus women and you know we've all seen this before where we look at these people and say why do you go back why don't you just get in a cab and leave because you know this isn't going to end well and the answer to that is they gradually get sucked into this situation where they only know what they know because he has controlled what she knows and this is what's happening to us in the media. We are being hmm. gaslighted by the media because we only, and I say that because I, I'm speaking in generalities now, the average person doesn't do a lot of, you know, online research and checking out the news and everything. They flip on the news at night, they watch it, and then they go off to work the next day. Um, and I think this is a problem because what they're hearing and seeing is a very small I call it a keyhole on history. They're only seeing what you can see through that keyhole. And they're making major life decisions based on bad information. A lot of it purposely passed on to them to change their values. And this is what manipulators do to their partners 
in a you know gaslighting situation or a, a sexual abuse relationship situation. They control what information they get. They isolate them from their friends and family, from their church, even from people who they work with. They dominate them. They mix um, praise with cynicism and anger and get them all confused emotionally. And they become dependent, emotionally dependent on that abusive partner. And this is where a lot of Americans are now. And I think it's because we've had two or three generations of schooling teaching these kids Mm -hmm. that, you know, white people are bad, Americans are bad, we're colonists and exploiters and all these things. And you add this up over, you know, 40 years, and now you have people in very powerful positions who seriously believe this stuff. And and you could say, well, are they brainwashed? And the answer is yes, to a certain degree they are, because the information they've been given was limited, they didn't cross-check it, uh, and they believe that. And so now they think what they're doing is good for everybody. And they accept this, for example, this medical apartheid that we're going through. They just mindlessly accept the idea that everybody should wear masks and everybody should stay six feet apart. And they blah, blah, blah. And we're going to go and give up all of our liberties and everything. And they absolutely don't object to that at all. That tells me there's something wrong with them mentally because that doesn't make any sense. If you're an American, this has to be something that bothers you. But I think so many uh, modern, educated Americans don't have that attitude anymore. And again, we're talking with uh, Rick Elkin. And by the way, rickelkin.com is his website. It's Rick, as it sounds like, an E-L-K-I-N.com. And <clears throat> excuse me, I'm looking over at uh, on Amazon, his uh, books there, and including the uh, one that I'm most in- interested in, The Illusion of Knowledge, uh, Why So Many People, So Many Educated Americans Embrace Marxism. Rick, you know, your background, I mean, besides being a communicator now, you were in business and even in sales. So you saw people. Yeah. And you saw people, what motivate incentives, you know, incentives, people are, you know, it's like I tell my my um, my kids, I've been using this line for a while, uh, dogs don't do fractions, which means if you have a piece of ham the size of your head and you give it to the dog, he's happy. If you give him just a little edge, he's still happy. He doesn't, he can't do fractions, you know, and that's dogs. We're a little, di- we're a little different, not, not much different human beings, but what's changed, Rick? Has the world changed I mean, is it because of the media and tech and the speed of of, of life? Is it? Uh, are we more materialistic? You you pointed out that we're you know we we've talked about you know decades into this uh, into this transformation. Are we just at an at, at a later point in it? I mean, because it feels like it's almost sped up every day. People are bigger suckers every day than they should be, and they were yesterday. Well, you know, uh, Marshall McLuhan, and I, I know this really dates me, but Marshall McLuhan in 1967 wrote a book called The Medium is the Message. He actually named it The Media is the Message, but the printer misprinted the name, and it came out The Medium is the Message, and he said, oh, that's all right. Same thing. Well, the point is, his <laughs> point was at that time that he predicted the Internet, the worldwide Internet. He, there was no such thing. He said there will right. be in the future an information exchange system that will be worldwide and instantaneous. And he said this will be a threat to civilization. So when you stop hmm. and think about that, now what do you mean by that? And I think that we're just sort of now beginning to get some semblance of understanding of how that could be. And I believe that it is potentially a threat to civilization to have uh, this ubiquitous, everywhere, all the time information system that 
you know, we don't have privacy anymore. It doesn't exist. Um, you know, our right. cell phones and everything are taking our temperature and saving it in the cloud. So this idea right. that, that all of this technology is necessarily a good thing is naive and myopic. We have to be care- careful with this, and we have to understand that there are threats involved with this. And I think this is, you mentioned a minute ago about, you know, everything's going so fast. This is part of the problem. People are becoming mesmerized by electronic devices to the degree their brains are being rewired. They don't know it, but it's happening. And there's scientific proof of this. And the people that spend more and more time on their cell phones, and that's all of us, and it's getting to be more and more and more time, are being more and more affected by this. And so we're losing our ability to concentrate for long periods of time. We're losing our ability to analyze well. We're impatient. We get angry very quickly. It seems like our emotions are on an edge. And this, I believe, is a big part of why we're at war with each other. And and we're not just at war with each other, but we're at war with people within our own family, Um, you know, our mom and dad and our children. Mm -hmm. This is breaking down all the things that held our society and our culture together. And it's, uh, you know, I believe it's a very, very serious emergency that we have to deal with, and yet we're not. Um, we just we're stumbling ahead, and now we're seeing more and more of this technology. Now it's starting to get implanted in our bodies and our sunglasses, and you know everything everywhere. It's, you know, it, it is a little bit frightening that we're merging with the machines, and you know I I'm okay with some of that, but I think we have to be careful how far this goes and how fast it goes and what it's doing to our our minds. Yeah, you know, Rick, I, I got to tell you what you just answered in that co- that comment right there. You got to write on that because I, I think you're exactly right and your perspective on it. You know, it, people need to think that through. And because I, you know, I tell people, forget about what you think about the persuasiveness of big tech. It's pretty powerful, but they're they're doing neuroscience on us. They're, they're, they're not just kind of trying to do some jingles and, and kind of persuade us. And while I think that the um, when I watch Brennan and Clapper on MSNBC and CNN, and you realize that the national security apparatus is over on you know NBC and CNN, you say they look like they're using brainwashing, but I kind of feel like we can beat that. I, I'm not afraid of brainwashing. I'm, I'm afraid of neuroscience. And, and, and as you point out, the kind combination of neuroscience, you know, take big tech, big media, so you got neuroscience plus brainwashing, then add in a little big government and Fauciism, and here we are in a spot I don't think anybody could have even imagined. And and now we're feeling like we survived. We're all feeling like we got through it. But I think we just got, you know, <laughs> worked over, and uh, and I'm not sure we'll ever get through it. So um, I I, I got to run, Rick, unfortunately, but I, I appreciate very much, and I'm going to make sure to uh, put your books out there. But I, I hope your voice gets louder and louder. That's very helpful. So thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ed. All right, Rick. Uh, Rick Elkin, everybody. RickElkin.com. Check him out there. His books, and also you can go through his blog post. He's got an interesting blog uh, post that I was just reviewing, so uh, check it all out. RickElkin.com. He just posted about a week ago uh, on that blog post. It's good writing and interesting about Mike Lindell, uh, too. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll come back and wrap things up. It's Ed Martin. I'm filling in for the great Andrea Kay. It's the Andrea Kay Show. We'll be back in a moment right here on the Andrea Kay Show. 
sure to follow Andrea K on Twitter at Andrea K Show. And follow her on Facebook and like her fan page at Andrea K. Spelled K-A-Y-E. Andrea K telling you like it is, all while eating a donut. The Andrea K Show on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. Ed Martin here on the, I was almost said the Pro-America Report. That'll be in a few hours. I'm actually here on the Andrea Kay Show filling in. Very grateful to do that. And uh, always, always uh, wonderful. That was a great interview with uh, with uh, Rick Elkin. I like that guy. So that's good. That's a great uh, Southern California uh, treasure there. That's good for us that he's out there. Uh, all right, let me finish by highlighting something that I said on the Pro-America Report about three months ago. Could have been two and a half. I'd have to go back and look. I'd make Noah help figure me. He's not going to figure it out. But what I talked about a couple months ago was that the best path to make sure that the American people of all sides realize what's at stake in 2022 would be to have Donald J. Trump announce that he will campaign across the country for House candidates, but only if they agree to support him for Speaker of the House. Now, you say, what are you talking about, Ed? He's not going to be in the House. No, he doesn't have to be. A few years ago, I think it was back when the Republicans got themselves in a jam. I don't know who. It wasn't when Paul Ryan quit. It was maybe when Denny Hastert quit or I don't know. Somebody quit. This this was uh, sort of out in the public eye. And it's been talked about for decades. The Constitution does not require that the Speaker of the House, who's third in line in succession, right? It's the president, vice president, and then Speaker of the House. And the Speaker of the House does not have to be a member of the body. It is only it's the person who's elected. In fact, back when there was trouble, the Republicans couldn't figure out somebody to do to, to make Speaker. They talked about maybe bringing Newt back because he had experience. Well, my point here is you can't win an election in 2022 if MAG America, the call it 30 percent of the Republican voting bloc that just is devoted to they won't come. They didn't come in 18. They, they, they won't come in 2022 if Trump's not on the ballot unless they know something that's at stake. So Trump should say, I'm going to be speaker. Can you imagine the ceremony, which happens every time when the one speaker hands the gavel over to the new speaker? It was uh, Paul Ryan had to hand it over to Pelosi once, I think, or Boehner did. I don't know. Can you imagine Pelosi having to give Trump the uh, gavel? Now, here's what I want to tell you. I've said this two months ago. Suddenly, mainstream commentators are saying this is being floated. It's being talked about. And here's the, the best part of this is imagine Speaker Trump, who's in charge of impeachment, in charge of the budget, in charge of all sorts of things, squaring off every day with President Joe Biden. You know what? I think CNN and MSNBC might vote for this because they need the ratings. They got nothing right now. So but interesting. My point in telling you is come and please uh, tune into the Pro-America Report because we'll talk about things usually two months before everybody catches up to it. And that's a good one. Speaker Donald J. Trump. I think it would be great. And also it would turn out the vote. So we'll talk about that later on in my program. Listen, thank you, as always, to uh, DJ Potato Skins and Noah, his name is to me, for helping with this. And Andrea K. for letting me, in, me be in here. I'll be back tomorrow night on The Andrea K. Show. It's Ed Martin filling in for the great Andrea K. Talk to you then.